Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line today by my Gannett colleague and the man who made me a defender of Cincinnati-style chili, Mr. C. Trent Rosecrans of the Cincinnati Inquirer. Trent, how's it going? Wow, I uh, I feel like putting that on my resume. I don't you, I don't remember how or when this happened, but you, I feel yeah, honored. You absolutely can. What happened was uh, I had you on the Walk Off podcast, the uh, another podcast I host sometimes for USA Today, uh, in in advance of the All Star Game a couple of years Correct. ago, and I had been like much of the internet, someone who maligns Cincinnati style chili because I had only had Skyline chili. I had never ventured out, uh, and you suggested accurately that I I try uh, some other places. So I believe it was the night of the All-Star Gala, which traditionally I blow off. I took a bike share and, and rode over to Kentucky to Dixie Chili, and I very much enjoyed it. Very good. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have helped um, our fair city. I feel like an ambassador and... Um, Really, I mean, the mayor should be thanking me. I think so too. Well, I, I, what I found in Cincinnati were that like people in Cincinnati were like super defensive about their chili <laughs> against the internet that had again like ripped Cincinnati chili so hard. It's it's true. Um, it's I think the name gets in the way for a lot of people. I mean, if you think of it as a separate weird dish, and not as what you most people grow up thinking is chili. You're I, fine. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Just to, just the way people from New York, like myself, might say, like, well, Chicago pizza, that's not pizza. That doesn't make it not good, right? It's still delicious. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's semantic more than anything else. I'm with you on that. And, and I should say, like, I really enjoyed the Cincinnati chili I had then, and I think it was just a matter of, like, a small sample size thing for me. I had one plate of Cincinnati chili in, like, 2005, and I was like, oh, it's bad. And then I can, like, I'll be someone who spends his time making making jokes about Cincinnati chili. I don't do it anymore. Now I think it's pretty good. Were you really drunk when you had it? No. Uh, well, oh, because it's better when you're drunk. In 2005, it's a good bet. Uh, this in, really? in 2015, uh, <laughs> in, in 2015, I was, I was stone cold sober. A, a lot of things happened in those 10 years that we cannot get into legally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, anyway, I want to get into, so you, um, in addition to, your your traditional duties covering the Cincinnati Reds. You've got a new podcast uh, this this year, and it's one that that uh, speaks to something we've we've spoken about a lot on this show, and something I've written about a lot in the past. It's uh, it's about the minor league lifestyle. So to to get into this, I just want to ask, what was it about that? What was it about this story that you wanted to tell, and why did you want to tell it in in this format? Because uh, I know you have another podcast as well, which is more like this one, where it's you know people just sort of you know talking uh, aimlessly about sports a little bit. Uh, at least I, I could say that about the For the Win podcast. Um, whereas the the new podcast, the great the Great American Dream, uh, is more it, it's it it to me it sounds more like an NPR show than what I think about as a podcast. Yeah, and I enjoy those kind of podcasts. I listen to a lot of those. Um, you know, actually at the Cincinnati Enquirer, we had a really successful, great one called Accused. Mm-hmm. Um, it was number one, a true crime podcast. It was number one on iTunes at one point. Um, it's won a lot of awards, deservedly. Um, Amber Hunt, Amanda Rob, um, Amanda Rossman, and Amy Wilson at the at the Enquirer really 
went through this this uh, this amazing podcast, and um, you know I, I enjoyed it so much, and I think it opened up some eyes in our place just what this form can do and the different ways it can tell stories, and it's an interesting medium to hear directly from the people in their own voice, not just what they said, but how they said it. And I've always loved minor league baseball. Um, it, it, it probably came because I didn't live close to a major league team. Mm-hmm. And I remember growing up going to, um, well, what was then the Tidewater Tides. Okay. Uh, it was the Mets, yeah, Mets AAA team. And I, I lived there from like 83 to 88. So you can imagine how great those teams were. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was when they had Gooden throwing like 240 innings in Tidewater and striking out 300 and walking 170 or something. Yeah, and you had like, you know, I remember Greg Jeffries and Dave Magadan being the next great Hall of Famers. Um, You're you're speaking to my childhood right now. I also remember Greg Jeffries and Dave Magadan as Hall of Famers. You know, and like, oh my gosh, I got a Magadan rookie card um, and a Jeffries rookie card. You know, I grew up around that team and, and, and those because I couldn't go to the major league games from there, the closest was Baltimore, which was, which was still a pretty good haul. Um, that was how we got our baseball fix. And I would, my dad and I would go to tides games. Um, I probably have, um, at that time, uh, John Gibbons was the catcher for the tides. Now the blue Jays manager, mm-hmm. I probably have at least six tidewater tides programs at my parents' house signed by John Gibbons. Nice. Because because Gibbons was the guy who would sign all day every day for everybody at that ballpark, all twenty of us. Um, so it, it was kind of cool. And since then, I always enjoyed the minor leagues. I enjoy the development. I enjoy trying to find what's next. Um, but also, it's a different story than the major league stories. You know, the major league life has its own challenges. But the minor league life has those challenges of travel, of being away, of isolation, without so many of the creature comforts. And I, and I just enjoyed telling that story. I wanted to tell that story differently. And so what I've done is kind of focusing on one player, but using that to branch out and tell different stories. And that, that player is second base prospect from the Reds named Shed Long, who's um, you know 21-year-old kid from, from Anniston, Alabama, um, who was the Reds offensive player of the year last year. So he's a good player. And, um, you know, you start reaching out from there to tell other stories. You know, I tell just kind of shed story, but also this latest episode, the third episode, um, you know, talk about the language barrier. Shed doesn't speak much Spanish, but in this game, that's such a big part of this game is, is the, uh, influence of Latin American players. And, um, and, and, and Spanish speakers and Spanish is, you know, you know, as well as I do, Ted, that when you go into a clubhouse anywhere in baseball, you're just as likely to overhear a conversation in Spanish as you are in English. Yeah. And I, I am uh, so in, insanely envious of any colleagues who, who speak both languages. It's like one of those things. I, one of my great regrets in life is dropping Spanish when I passed my requirement in college because man would that be a valuable thing to have these days oh you want to talk about that how stupid am I (laughs) I lived in South Texas and I lived in Japan and I speak neither Spanish or Japanese that is rough that's a rough that's a rough haul that's that's dumb yeah it's not rough it's dumb 
Um, um, well, I Dylan mean, Hernandez of the LA Times speaks both Spanish and, and Japanese and also English somewhat. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so so he's in a good spot. Uh, we can we can envy him. But uh, I want to get back into to, to this show. So uh, you mentioned that Shed Long is a, a pretty pretty good prospect. He had a really nice year last year. He's having a, he's off to a after a, a slow sort of mini slump to start the season. Now he's off to a pretty good start. Uh, and and I think an, an interesting guy and probably a good choice for this because he wasn't a top draft pick, right? He's a, a 12-round right. pick, not a guy who got a huge bonus. So he is sort of deep in it in terms of the minor league lifestyle. He's not a guy who, you know, um, in the, the most recent or the second episode, which I just listened to, uh, you know, you speak to Joey Votto and Votto says like, well, you know, as much as I had fun in the minor leagues, like I'm in a little bit different spot because as a second round pick, he got a, a big bonus. So it wasn't like Joey Votto, you know, was was scraping to to make ends meet in the minors. Whereas Long strikes me as a guy who is right. He's he does face uh, financial challenges in addition to all of the other challenges that that uh, that minor leaguers face. And, and I think that's a, a typical uh, story for a minor leaguer. Was was that part of what appealed to you? What? Why, why Shed Long? Why Shed? That's a great question. Um, first of all, I'd talked to Shed, and I knew Shed was really kind of a smart guy, um, had a good voice, was funny, um, just kind of, uh, but also that everyman thing. You know, like, I, I didn't want Nick Senzel, who got $6 million last year as the number two overall pick. I wanted someone who really kind of came out of nowhere, and Shed had a lot of different things going for him. He was a catcher. Um, they drafted him and, and, and tried him at catching because he had a really good arm. Um, he was smart. Um, uh, but the thing was they've just found that he kept hitting and they needed him on the field all the time. And so they moved him to second base. And once he moved to second base, he flourished. Um, I'd like somebody in the middle of the diamond, mm-hmm. uh, because there's interaction with everybody. If you're, you're kind of a middle infielder. Um, that was part of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, shortstops and second baseman, and, 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 you know, those up the middle players kind of have, have it all. Now, a catcher would be great, too. But he also has that catcher background. Um, also, one of the things is he's, he's African-American. And that is another story to be told. Absolutely. Uh, because, and, and that's actually episode four um, that will be coming out, not this next Monday. It's every other Monday. So in, in two weeks, that's coming out. Just about, you know... Th- that has changed in the last, well, like Shed's lifetime and in our lifetime, really, the African American um, participation in baseball is those numbers are just keep keep going down. And what is it with Shed? Um, and that actually started with this this story that um, Zach Buchanan, um, my colleague here, that uh, my teammate that we both cover the Reds here for the Enquirer, Zach started on a story last year. And he still hasn't written it, but he's been researching it and trying to want to do it for a while. Just about like the lack of African-American catchers. Yeah, there's the only African-American catcher in the majors is, is Canadian, is Canadian <laughs> and and ha- I believe half black. Right. Russell Martin. And yeah, and his again, father Canadian. Right. And like, I mean, but think about that before that, you got to go to what? Charles Johnson. I think that's right. Yeah. And um. And what's funny is, so like he had kind of talked to Shed when Shed was a catcher. Of course, he got moved out, and Shed he was like, "Oh, Shed was great, and I got him some good stuff." And um, so there was that, and um, 
And so it, it kind of put Shed on my radar, and I had talked to him, and his agent at the time that we started all this was based in Cincinnati. He has uh, switched agencies, uh, which is part of you know the business, mm-hmm. and it's kind of interesting as well. Um, so it all just kind of worked out, and Shed was the right guy. And, and also, you know what? He's a player. I mean, he's not a guy that can't play or you may never see at the major league level. He's a guy that you can see in the big leagues. I mean, he's a, he's a short guy. But he just he hits the ball and and you'll hear um, and I think it was in episode one, Eric Davis who you know speak of our childhood. Yeah, yeah, I know Eric Davis. <laughs> um, you know, but Eric Davis says this guy's Joe Morgan without the speed because he can just hit and he's got some power despite his size. Um, so I, I was like, you know, Eric, you know what you're saying, right? He's like, yeah, I do. And he, you know, Sheds also works. He spends his off season, part of his off season, he'll always spend in Orlando, working out um, with with Barry Larkin, and okay. so um, and that 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 group that works out with Barry Larkin includes Shed, uh, Francisco Lindor, D. Gordon, and some of those other guys. And it's like, oh, you're in that group too. I mean, that's a that's some pretty heady company. Yeah, there's a great moment in, in the second episode, which I just listened to this morning, uh, and you're talking to Shed, and it's the day before the season starts, and he just sort of volunteers pretty casually, and it, and it sounds like, like you're a little bit surprised by it. He says, like, I'm still trying to find some place to live, and that's right. something uh, we had on Matt Perret, a Giants minor leaguer on this show, uh, just in, in toward the end of spring training, and Matt runs a site called Homeless Minor Leaguer and, and sort of makes light of the minor league lifestyle. But this is a real thing for guys. And, and in Shed's particular case, he's playing in Daytona. And, and I think when for a lot of us, when we think Daytona and being a, a single 21-year-old minor leaguer, you say like, well, hell yeah, that would be incredible, right? It's the beach. It's spring break. It's all of these things. But he points out like, well, it's, it's a pretty expensive place to live. And I think for a minor leaguer, that probably matters more than all of the ancillary aspects of the lifestyle in a city because, like you say, he's just getting up and going to the park wherever he is, right? He could be in Jackson, Tennessee, or Billings, Montana, or, or in Daytona, and it's it's more or less the same for the minor leaguer. Uh, but then he says, he says, I can choose. I, I want to live. I could choose in the nice part of town, or I can live in the trashy part of town, but I got my car here, so I need to yeah. live someplace nice. And that just seems so far from, from what, you know, Joey Votto and Zach Cozart are going through at the major league level. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, that's a real consideration. Mm-hmm. I, I think he bought a pretty nice car with his bonus. Um, you know, he's, he says he's got an Audi and he, he likes his car and he's like, it's going to be parked there. Do I go, you know, nice. And he has three roommates and including one guy whose bedroom is the living room. Mm-hmm. And they, just it is one of those where that's an expense for all of them. And it was, you know, it wasn't guys he knew really well. And I think if you listen to it, I'm not sure if it got cut out or was in. He's, he's listening to who he's living with. And he's like, um, Robert, and I don't remember Robert's name, last name. And it's like, huh. I mean, because these are, it's a picture and it's just like, they're thrown together. And, um, and it's just one of those things that's so funny. And you also think about it. I'm like, well, do they have short-term leases or whatever, uh, month to month? He's like, no, man, the best you can usually do is six months. Um, and I'm like, well, you were hopefully getting called up. And he's like, yeah, but I'll get called up. And whoever gets called up to replace me, well, they need a place to live too. 
So it's this weird cycle. So yeah, maybe he'll go to Pensacola in the next month or so. And, and I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in Pensacola in the next month. Um, but that means he's, his name's on the lease, but he's got to get somebody to replace him or he's still legally obligated for that. But usually, well, somebody else is coming up and those people might get a new roommate. Yeah. And, and then to top that off, Shed's got to find some place in, in Pensacola to live. Like one of the, one of the guys I spoke to over the off season, uh, Kyle Johnson, a guy who was in the Mets system at the time, said, told me about a time when he was playing, paying rent in three different places because he oh. had, you know, he had just kept getting shuttled around the system. And I was like, I, it so happened. I got promoted on June 2nd, you know, after I had signed a lease on June 1st and then got traded or something like that. And, and so wound up, uh, you know, all in the course of early June, paying rent all over the world, all over the country, at least. Yeah, it's it's those little things. And honestly, a lot of this can't, comes from my wife who asks these kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, um, she's just like, well, where do they live? I'm like, oh, that's a good question. You know, it's like the questions I'm, I'm usually thinking about baseball. And my wife will ask these great questions. And so she's been my best editor. Um and also, you know, my most uh, she has the most critiques. <laughs> and the the, well, the worst part is she's always right. Um, and so that's been interesting to ask those kind of questions, to ask the questions that I don't always ask because it doesn't directly influence what happens on the field. But if you're not sure where you're living, that's or where you're going home to after after a game, that'll influence what happens on the field. Well, and you get into a, another aspect of it, which I feel like is huge. And and it sounds like the Reds are doing the right thing now. But uh, yes. when you talk to Zach Cozart, he talks about c- coming up. It was uh, coming up through the system. They were excited to get a $5 foot long from Subway. That was your meal for the day. Or, or you were excited when your team bus pulled over at a McDonald's because you were hungry and you could eat McDonald's. These are professional athletes. And if you see what guys at the major league level eat if you if i because i know from uh 10 years of asking mets what their favorite sandwiches are they'll say well i don't eat bread you know are you kidding me yeah. man i don't eat gluten i don't eat this i eat like chia seeds and and chicken you know like it's, it's only only health food for the for the guys who are obviously in the business of keeping their multi-million dollar bodies in shape uh, whereas guys in the minor league who are living on, on $12,000 a year and maybe, you know, $25 of per diem only when they're on the road, they have to eat cheap. And it, it sounds like the Reds, and I know a few teams are doing this now, uh, but the Reds are changing that. Yeah. A lot of teams, you know, and like Zach Kozar was just saying, it's like, you know, you get, you're done with the game. And that's the other part is think about the time. What time do you leave the ballpark? 11, 12, what's open Taco Bell, Waffle House. Um, and, and you'll, it's not, you'll not hear me say a bad word about Taco Bell. I, I, <laughs> of all things I know yeah. about you, Ted, this is one of them. Um, however, you and I, while we both enjoy a cheesy gordito, ch- cheesy gordita crunch, which is really the pinnacle of Taco Bell, if you ask me, mm-hmm. um, no neither of us it. are what we would call, um, we would not call our bodies optimal machines. <laughs> Hey, speak for yourself. I'm still holding on hope I, I make it to the majors. It's 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 dimming fast. <laughs> you know, when you see Joey Votto come in and he brings in his own bag from Whole Foods and it looks like whatever he has is carefully measured. 
Um, you know, that's a little bit different than a cheesy gordita crunch. Um, right. I'm going with cheesy gordita crunch, and it's obvious that I have chosen made that poor choice many, many times in my life. Um, but you know, the Reds basically, Dick Williams said, you know, it's going to cost us a couple million dollars to feed these guys throughout the season, but this is an investment. And it's not just an investment for, you know, say $6 million for a guy like Nick Senzel, but then to, you know, the analogy I think he used is you putting bad gas in a Ferrari. Why would you do that? And at this point, there is so much money. And $3 million, well, that's a middle reliever a right. lot of times. Yeah, that's exactly what the point I was going to make, right? Like it's, it's very clear that drafting and developing talent is is the way to big league success. And, and clearly the Reds are, are on that route now. They're sort of in, in a rebuilding phase, had a hot start to the season, but have leveled off quite a bit now. But, but a team with a lot of promise and a lot of promising young players, why, why would you spend that money on the, the middle reliever when you can use it, like you said, to invest in all of these minor league guys who are going to be the foundation of your team pretty soon? Yeah, and so that's one of the things. And like, I remember I was talking to Shed. I was like, "Oh, so they feed you?" He's like, "Yeah, we get three meals a day when you show up to the ballpark before the game and after the game." And I was like, "Well, what was for, um, you know, lunch today?" He goes, "Oh, there's some, you know, rice and vegetables, um, grilled chicken, grilled shrimp." And I was like, "Man, that sounds like a pretty good meal." He's like, "Oh yeah, it's great." And the other thing that does is that keeps guys at the park. It, you get there early if you're going to eat for free when you get there at noon and eat again at four or five before the game and then after the game. Well, that means you're not at the game afterwards. It means you're not out at the bar. You're not out doing those other things. Um, you get there early. That means you're there. What are you going to do? You're going to go ahead and work. Um, it's 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 pretty simple. And, uh, you know, you in the, in the second episode, I talked to Dick Williams, the Reds general manager, about that. And he just goes – you know, it's an important, important part, and it's something that they've invested in. He says a lot of other teams, he says, you know, we're not unique, but it's something that a lot of teams are doing, and it, it just makes so much sense. <laughs> and it's something that teams have been doing for, like, five years, right? Like this right. Is, we're going back, like, a hundred years with the minor league system or whatever it was when Branch Rickey signed the, you know, but... Yeah, um, yeah. And, and this but, like, is, Zach Cozart says, there. you know, they yeah. used to get leftover hot dogs. Right. I mean, I think a lot of the in a lot of cases, it's that the minor league park isn't really set up to provide good right. meals, you know, so they have to find a caterer. They have to find. And, and in a lot of these towns, there's not a Whole Foods, right? There's not a place yeah. where you can find all of that good, healthy, organic vegetables and and fresh produce and, and good meat that that you want to feed the players. So I think there is just logistic challenges in keeping guys off McDonald's and Subway and Taco Bell. Yeah, but it's um, it's one of those things that you just don't think about. And also, I mean, there's also the business model because the team, for the most part, isn't owned by the major leagues. Mm -hmm. um, and it's that usually where the money was coming from in the past was from the from the minor league affiliate. You know, they're their own separate business. Their idea is to, you know, for their business, it's to maximize their profits. Well, they don't care in the long run if these guys turn out to be major leaguers. That's not going to change their bottom line. It's up to the teams themselves, like the parent team, the Reds, to do that. And that's where, you know, the money now comes from. It comes from the Reds to feed these players, not from the Daytona Tortugas. 
Well, you mentioned the money, and I, and I wanted to get into this because this is uh, most of my focus in writing about minor leaguers has 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 been about the what 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 mentioned again mentioned on the show. Uh, there's that lawsuit going on. Uh, yes. Garrett Brochus is spearheading and a former minor league player himself. Uh, there are I think there's something like forty active players now it's been certified as a class action so uh essentially everyone who has ever played or everyone has played in the california league for the last 10 years is now automatically entered into this lawsuit uh that is suing major league baseball and its teams uh and you know by by extension minor league baseball for uh, uh it's the federal labor standards act it's to which is minimum wage laws uh and and it, it asserts that uh, and it's it's true if you look at the at the way the hours line up that minor league players make significantly less than the national minimum wage. Uh, is this something you know you've you've heard anything about in reporting this podcast? Is this something you have a take on? Um, you know, I've heard some, and you talk about it, and of course, the the thing is dealing with active minor leaguers. Uh, they don't they, really they want to piss off up. their bosses. Yeah, exactly. yeah, and it's understandable. Um, the squeaky wheel in this case does, well, they can get greased, mm-hmm. uh, you know, f- figuratively. Right. Um, and, and so it's something that we've kind of talked about and we will talk about and we've danced around. I mean, it, it is, it is ridiculous. Just the amount of money that's in this game. And I think there are some things like even as simple as providing meals that helps go towards this, but that doesn't, I mean, that's nice and all, but you're only feeding yourself. You're not feeding your family. I mean, there are guys in the minor leagues who have a family and um, there are people making money off of this. It's, it's not like these teams are going out of business and that's the bottom line. You know, no, no, no baseball team has gone out of business for a while, at least in my lifetime. I think, and I think that's sort of the, the dichotomy that you just mentioned is, is, is behind it. Like I think for a guy like, like Shed Long or for a guy like Matt Perret, who I spoke about, who I spoke to on this podcast, people might remember, but uh, a single guy, especially, it's not, you know, you're not, again, of course you'd want more money and of course you're going to have to work in the off season. And of course you deserve fair pay and I think minimum wage in my opinion. But for those guys, if you don't have a responsibility to anyone else, I think that you are traveling the country playing baseball with your friends and you're getting paid not much for it but you're getting meals and it's still kind of a cool thing right but once you have a family and once you have kids and once you have responsibility and they're asking you we need you to work 70 hour weeks on twelve thousand dollars a year then right. that's where it gets just completely ridiculous and i think that it does phase guys out of baseball guys who might have had a major league career guys who might have had their their jose bautista moment who who just wind up saying, like, I just can't do this anymore. Yeah, you know, guys like um, Tim Adelman, who's now in the Reds rotation. Tim Adelman is a guy who was released, um, bounced around independent ball for a while. Even this past offseason, he he pitched, I think, like, I think he started, like, 13 games for the Reds last year. This offseason, and like he has in the last couple of offseasons, he's worked at a deli at the local grocery store where he lives in Connecticut. Um, I wrote that story last year when he made his, his debut, um, that, you know, here's a guy who's now in the major leagues who just, you know, a couple months prior was, you know, preparing sandwiches for people. And, you know, I talked to Tim and he did it again a little bit this off season because it's a nice family owned local grocery store, but he still had to eat. And, you know, 
Um, it was a little bit better because he got the prorated big league money this year. But still, he's like, well, what else am I going to do? He, you know, he still does private coaching in the offseason. And he was able to be a little more selective. But it's still, you still have to make a living. Right, and, and you talk about, you know, so the prorated big league money, $535,000 a year is, is a ton. Uh, a lot of people would, would love, I would love to have ever have a job that paid me that well, but uh, my career doesn't end at 39, right? And, right. and I think that's a If you're thing. lucky. Right. You know, most of these careers, especially in the minor leagues, we're talking they end at 24, 25. Uh, and, you know? and I think part of the problem, and... and, and uh, and you, you heard it a little bit in in the second episode, is that once a guy makes it to the minor league, once a guy makes it to the major leagues, that problem is sort of erased. And so you can be nostalgic for like, oh, what a great time it was, right. you know, sharing a five bed, a three bedroom apartment with five other guys. That was super fun. It was like a, it was like college. It was you know like uh, Joey Votto again. And Votto is careful to say like, again, I had money. It wasn't a, as big of a deal for me. Uh, but he says, like, this was the best time of my baseball career because it was like being in college. I was just having fun with my friends. Right. And, of course, you know, he also talked about – I don't think this got in, and it, it might be used somewhere else. But he told me the story about remembering his first check, and it was like $500 um, or $350. <laughs> he says his mom still has it somewhere, like the stub. And he just felt like he was rich beyond belief. Um now, now this guy makes more than that for every like pitch he sees, um, you know, and, and so it, it is kind of amazing. But like, like you said, I mean, I remember doing some really stupid stuff when I was in college. You know, I lived on somebody's couch for two months because it just it was a good opportunity for me to get and start working at a, a paper early. I'm not doing that again. I'm old. I'm grown up. I'm like now. I'm like, you want me to, you know stay at this kind of hotel please I'm, you know right, you yeah, get no, spoiled no. you get used to things i mean now i'll get a i'll get my own hotel room when i go visit friends in other cities and they're like well we have yes. a guest bedroom it's like i don't want to stay your kid i don't want to you have kids and dogs and stuff i don't want to see them i just live i need my alone time at the end of the day yeah definitely so i mean it's just how we change and how we do these things and and yeah there are things you did that for both of us i think there are things we've done to sacrifice to get where we are and we would do it again at that time but we wouldn't do it again tonight yeah it's a it's a it's a crazy lifestyle i mean bottom line is it's a it's not something we think about we we look at these guys as as uh as stats as prospects as investments for our big league teams we say like oh okay maybe this guy's hitting well this guy's doing this we don't think and and this was an eye-opener for me just uh, several years ago and the uh, it's a guy who is a, I don't want to say his name, but he's now a fairly well-known major leaguer who, when he was playing the Mets minor league system, basically wound up having to repeat a year at a level because he got so, fell so in love with a $5 General So's chicken special at a local Chinese place that he put on like 20 pounds and had a horrible year. Uh, and that's just the type of thing you don't see on a baseball card. Well, and then the, then the like episode three kind of touches on imagine dealing with all that and not speaking the language. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I will, and I think in, in a lot of cases that is what leads to that, right? It's like uh, we've heard Ivan Nova said um, for the first several years he was in the minor leagues, he only ate pizza because it was the only word he knew how to, like it was the only food he knew how to order. 
So he just had to keep eating pizza, which is heartbreaking when you think about it. Yeah, and and uh, did you ever see the movie Sugar? I have not. Everybody keeps telling uh, me I should see it. it. It's probably, I think it's the best baseball movie I've seen. I've heard that. It's a low um, bar in my book, but yeah, I've heard that. But it, it's it's kind of fantastic on that. And then, like, even, it, it, it has that pizza moment, that Ivan Nova. You know, the person I kind of focused on in episode three is is now the Reds translator. Uh, his name's Julio Murillo. Mm-hmm. He was a catcher in the Red system out of Venezuela. And he came from Venezuela not speaking, a, you know, a word of English. And he came to the United States and he basically taught himself English to where six, seven years later, now he's the translator for the team. Um, and it's an amazing thing. He says he remembers going to the restaurant and ordering a hamburger, and she asked, do you want pickles and onions? And he said yes, because the only word he knew was yes. And he's like, he gets it. And what he's like, I like hate pickles. pickles. Yeah. He hates pickles and onions. Oh, and, no. And, you know, and that's a true story. And, and it's one of the things like the Ivanova and, and in Sugar, there's a thing with uh, French toast. It's the same. It's a universal story. But I get it, man. I lived in Japan um, when I was in high school. And... I was lucky enough to be near a Navy base and could retreat to Little America. But there's points where you're out there and you don't speak the language and you can feel hopeless. It's and terrifying. It's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. And I had I had so many safety nets coming back. Um, and, and, you know, like Julio said, when he first went to Billings, Montana, not only did he have no very little English, he was in Billings, Montana and was the only Latin player on the team. Oh, in Billings, Montana. I mean, it's one thing to be in Arizona, where the Reds have their, um, you know, rookie league and or not rookie league, but uh, complex league and, and 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 spring training complex. In Arizona, you can get around with Spanish. Mm-hmm. In Billings, Montana, no. it's a little bit tougher. Yeah, it's uh, and and it's it's it's. Uh, I think that's probably another aspect of the game that teams are now doing a better job with. Right now, it seems like they are, uh, at least in my experience, and maybe it's anecdotally. But just more and more uh, Latin players are coming up speaking English or with some sense of English or working on it, taking classes. I think they've been better about educating kids, you know, beyond the baseball field at the academy level. Yes. And so you are seeing progress in that area where where these guys maybe can get along. But there still are. And I think uh, from what I understand, and and this was something I tried to report years ago and, and never really got that far with. But uh, this was from someone at the league said that, like, it is way easier for the Venezuelan guys and and the Cuban guys even to pick up English than the Dominican guys, which make up a huge portion of baseball's Latin population, because education and literacy in the DR are so much worse than they are in those other countries that these guys are coming in with really very little knowledge of, of formal written it's true. And it makes it a much bigger challenge to learn English. Like like Julio had graduated high school. So he, he was a guy, even though he signed at 17, he, he, had, he had graduated high school. So he had an education. You know, a lot of these guys, from the Dominican especially, their Spanish isn't very good, right. much less their English. And it's tough because it's just the system. And... Um, you know, so so the Reds have their their complex and their academy in the Dominican, and that's part of it, and so many teams do as well. Uh, one of the things I think the Reds have done that's interesting that, that I've talked to, not only do they have the classes for Spanish speakers for English, uh, most of their English speech speakers go to Spanish class too. 
Well, I remember speaking to Joey Votto about this. He has a tutor that, that yeah. he, he hired, to, and he, he is trilingual. Yeah, because he's Canadian, so he, he's, you know, I talked to him, and that's in episode three, too, where he talks about how, you know, he speaks French, so Spanish was easier, but he wanted to get to know our oldest Chapman better, and so he worked on learning Spanish. You know, uh, Barry Larkin famously did this. Barry Larkin um, is in the Reds' front office, and in spring training, you'll see him. I, I just remember being on a backfield, and he's working with shortstops, and he's going back between English and Spanish like like it's nothing. And that is part of one of the reasons um, he has been – he was such – he's the last captain of this franchise. And it's because he tried to bridge that gap. Um, and so it's, um, it's something that he had always worked at. And it's just immeasurable. I mean, if you're a kid who's a rookie coming up from the Dominican Republic or Venezuela or wherever – and Joey Votto comes and speaks to you in Spanish. That's got to help immensely. Yeah, I mean, this is this whole podcast should just be about all the ways Joey Votto is cooler than I am. Uh, Joey Votto is cooler than all of us. Yeah. Uh, uh, he is he is the most fascinating person I've ever been around, and like, I still feel like I know nothing about him, and I'm, I know that's on purpose from him. He purposefully makes sure that we don't know. He could but, easily but he is, be James Bond, and we wouldn't know. Easily. <laughs> easily. Um, and it, I kind of have a feeling he'd be that Daniel Craig James Bond, as opposed to okay. Roger Moore R.I.P. Um, you know, kind of intense, gets the job done, not the um, freewheeling jokey one, but the the, the intense, uh, gritty James Bond. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I gotta let you go. Uh, yeah. where, where can people find the the new podcast and and all of your stuff? Uh, well, Cincinnati.com is your first place. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, if you're a Reds fan, the Reds app on available on the iTunes Store and Google Play is great. It has all these as well. iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you got this, you should probably be able to find our podcast, Great American Dream. Um, if not, just go to Cincinnati.com and you shall find it. it Google Shedlong Podcast. You'll probably find it. Um, that's how these things work these days. So, And, and I'm at, on Twitter at Ctrent, C-T-R-E-N-T, and um, for all your Reds goodness um, and other observations about baseball and Star Wars and he, Taco. He is Ctrent Rosecrans, the Cincinnati Enquirer Reds writer and, again, host of the new podcast, Great American Dream. Trent, thanks so much for doing this. Dude, t- thanks, Ted. As always, you can check out The Walk Off on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, all of those places. Rate us, review us. Uh, check it out at For the Win at ftw.usadelay.com. Uh, Trent, peace out. See you, Mom.